0: It's the Stazapod. What a monumental sale it was. The arrival of Sen, the diver campaign, everything. It's all coming together in this focal point. And uh, I got to tell you, I feel great. I, I'm so glad to have finally shipped out everything that was on order and pre order and July action figure of the month. It is a, a great sigh of relief. It is a great pressure release, and so I'm uh, re-energized and ready to tackle your questions today. Um, I'm very much looking forward to people uh, digging into Sen and also the Rubium pack, and uh, I want to see your builds. I want to see your pictures. Make sure you're posting them there. Use the hashtag Knights of the Slice and the hashtag Toy Pizza, and uh, this is really the closing of a book on many, many projects and the opening of a great big open field in which many exciting things are coming our way. So I'm happy to have surpassed this milestone. Thank you guys for all your help and support. And uh, today we're covering questions and answers. To kick off today's episode, I actually want to skip ahead to what I think is uh, the best question I got this week. And I want to focus in on this and spend some time with it. So here we have Mike Johnson. I noticed a lot of story beats relating to Fathers in Knights of the Slice, Rex in Montana, Bollinger and Crush, Saima and DR, maybe Alexander and Proto. And now, spoilers, Brick is going to be a daddy. I must ask why all the dad stuff lately? Um, Well, I think that your relationship with your father is arguably the single most important relationship you have, probably more profoundly for males than it is for females, Um, and then obviously your secondary parent is the second most important relationship in your life. Um, When I create a character or I write a character, I'm not just writing a character. Uh, I am sort of placing them in a world with all their relationships. And I think that the relationship between a father and son is one that is explored in almost every kind of mythology on earth, regardless, regardless of culture or country. And it is a tale as old as time. There's a reason it's a popular device because it tells you so much. You get to see everything you need to see. And it is a universally relatable theme. Now, not everybody grew up with both parents. Not everybody knows their father. Not everybody has a good relationship with their father. But we do understand what that relationship is, even if it's as an absence or as a presence in your life. When I went to school for animation, there was this 100 bullet point checklist. And you had to be able to answer it for every single uh, answer every single bullet point for every character you were creating. So it started off very easily. Bullet point number one, what's their name? Bullet point number two, what's their nickname? Bullet point number three, etc., etc. And it goes all, all the way down the list, their favorite color, their favorite band, their favorite movie, every conceivable thing you would ask somebody on a date, you had to sort of come up with as a prompt for writing characters and, and creating things. Now obviously nobody went through and did all 100 questions, but As a creator, you should be able to sort of fire off those things and be able to answer that immediately. And I really took that practice to heart. And when I sort of uh, am creating a story or I'm creating a character, I need to think about those fundamental relationships in their life and how that sort of influences the person they are today and what sort of baggage they may be dealing with by the type of person their father is. I guess the bigger fundamental question is, do you need to understand the lineage of a character in order for somebody to buy an action figure of that character? No, absolutely not. It's completely, you know, superfluous. But uh, does knowing that relationship and other sort of uh, background information endear you to a character in a way that sort of transcends and outlives just a, you know, a monetary purchase of a piece of plastic. I I believe it does. One more thing I want to add to uh, Mike's question that is a very good question and and got me thinking a little bit more. I I think I also uh, default to relationships when it comes to Knights of the Slice and these characters because the world that they live in is so... Uh, untethered and wild and with multiple dimensions and travel and space and sea and and all these crazy wacky concepts i find that uh, i really have to anchor the audience in as much universally understandable themes as i can and i think that that's why i sort of lean on these uh you know these very simple relationships that all of us have or at least sort of can easily digest and understand it And yes, that was my phone buzzing. I did forget to turn off the buzzer, as usual, with recording to Stasipod. Going back to our first question here, it's the Tomimoto Zone with our friend Lance. Uh, Was Brian Flynn ever aware that you were attempting originally to license what you refer to as your similar Kenner Plus line prior to his reaction line? If not, have you ever told him? Uh, So just to clarify my idea for a three and three quarter inch kenner-esque line or kenner plus as i was sort of figuring on uh it was called retronauts and uh it was not a licensed platform i wasn't going to license other people's ip i was just going to create my own characters um i don't know that i ever told him uh, i i don't think it actually matters and when i went to san diego that year after sort of uh, doing some sketches and talking to people like Michael Scottum in April of that year. Uh, when I went to San Diego, I, of course, saw that they had recovered and were releasing those Kenner alien figures. And at that point, I didn't see it as an offense or that uh, my idea was stolen or whatever the case may be. I was happy that this stuff was going to happen. Uh, I don't think at that point I knew what reaction would grow into, but, uh, you know, it is absolutely... Uh, no surprise that somebody beat me to the punch and and more you know, more succinctly, somebody with the ability to actually manufacture and get it out there. Uh, at that point, I had not done the night of the slice line. I definitely had a background of working in the toy industry, probably could have you know, uh, reignited some relationships to factories and gotten it done, but I did not have the means uh, you know, at that day to sort of execute on this idea. So rightfully so. Uh, Brian beat me to the punch, and he's still making reaction figures. So, obviously, it was a very successful and uh, creatively fulfilling endeavor for him. There are lots of examples of independent creation, uh, in every single industry. It happens all the time. Uh, recently, not that recently, in in the near past, and I haven't really talked much about this, uh, I was accused of plagiarism, which is not the first time I've been accused of plagiarism. Uh, in my career or in the life of Knights of the Slice. Thankfully, the person was just being trollish and went away. It didn't have to escalate into what would have been a pretty devastating legal situation. Uh, So, um, you know, it happens a lot. People have the same ideas. By the way, just a quick side note. The person accusing me of plagiarism was uh, accusing me on an item that I did not make or design or manufacture, I simply sold on my site. They were sort of barking up the wrong tree because it was not an IP I owned anyway. Um, but you know, this sort of stuff happens all the time. And there is a line in the sand when it comes to being a creator. You can either execute on, on an idea and bring it to market, or it's just an idea. And if it's just an idea in your head and you never actually do anything with it, then Uh, You know, it is an intangible thing. As I like to say, uh, which I'm probably stealing from somebody else, philosophy doesn't matter, it's velocity. It doesn't matter what you're thinking of or what you ponder or what ideas you have in your brain. If you don't have a velocity and you don't get these things out with speed and bring them to other people, it doesn't fucking matter. Okay, next question from Brian Doran. What is my favorite song by Dio? Uh, I'm going to show what a complete... uh, uncool guy I am. I only know Holy Diver. <laughs> so, I'm gonna go with Holy Diver. Moving along. Val Verde, when working with those who purchase the design of figure, how do you decide how much guidance is good to give without steering them in your own direction, yet still producing a piece that best accentuates and utilizes your line, uh, what your line is about? Um, this is a really good question, and and it it's tough to answer, right? It's sort of like you know it when you see it. Now, I would like to think I am a fair person to collaborate with, but I do not suffer fools. And if somebody has an idea that I don't think is good, or I don't think is worthy of their time, or worthy of pursuing, I'm, you know, I have no problem saying that to people. Uh, I guess you would have to ask the the four Design and Night guest stars how the experience has been, but it seems to be reciprocal and and pretty positive and like everybody got what they wanted. Um, I, I think really, I tried to step into the role as an editor with this project only after they had produced a good number of designs, there was a variety, and they had also indicated which ones were important to them, which spoke to them, what was an important thing, what did it mean something, is there a story behind it? And once we identified that, then I went in and really my, my biggest tweaks were just uh, color placement, the number of paint decos, um, you know, for example, with the Sean Scream, uh, Sean Gordon originally had all of the accessories uh, painted, um, you know, and I thought, and I actually didn't tell him this, I just did it, and luckily he liked it. I thought, well, hey, what if the accessories are blue, like a hologram? I think that would work really well and and that's probably the biggest departure and decision I made amongst the four designs but I think that one actually paid off so um, you know it's it's different for every design it's different for every guest artist I I really try to approach it with no ego and just kind of help them get what they want in the best way possible uh, but it would be oh Bo wants to uh, be on the podcast, I guess. Okay, say hi to them. No, now you're going to be silent? Um, I would be lying if I said that, you know, my fingerprint isn't on these because uh, it is whether it's sort of subconsciously or not. But uh, at the end of the day, I'm very, very happy with the four designs. I'm very happy to how the first design from Sean was received. People really seemed enthusiastic about it. And I'm psyched that we get a whole new batch of guest designers for the Diver figure. So, um, I could see this program going on, uh, for quite a while. Moving along, Charlie Pope, did you see the new He-Man series? What did I think of it? Uh, Charlie loved it. The humor was right up his alley. Uh, I did not see it. I, uh, honestly, I don't know if I will. Um, I don't have a ton of time to, to watch stuff. Um, and He-Man's, you know... He-Man's interesting, but it was never my brand. I, I'm not a huge He-Man guy, so um, I would rather sort of go back and finish watching Attack on Titan, which I never got all the way through, or um, I think I have one or two episodes of Devil Man to watch. Like, I, I have all these unfinished things. I'd rather spend my time doing that. Gordon McKinnon Hall, what guides which Sofubi I collect? Um, Largely, it is... Uh, it is just a filter of saying no to everything. Um, I'm, you know, I'm, I've am i sort of cycled out of collecting Sofubi. I was very, very into it for a long time. Um, I don't quite know why I don't collect them. I guess just at the at the end of the day, I'm more about action figures. I'm more about, like, posing them and having accessories, and, and specifically the sort of three and three-quarter inch scale. Um, Sofubi are great. Like, when I bring people to my house, they're always very impressed with the Safubio over anything else. Uh, I like the display I have. I don't feel compelled to sort of chase these down and, and be in that segment of the collector sphere, if that makes sense. Um, you know, I, I, I guess for me to buy anything now, it has to. I have to really love it. It has to be really clever... And it has to really speak to me and also be worth the hassle of obtaining them. I, I know that's a bit, uh, you know, uh, pot calling the kettle black, but Knights nights of the Slice, if you're paying attention, is relatively easy to pick up within, you know, the day it goes on sale. Sofubi is like if you're not there the minute of, or you're not lucky in a lottery, you're not getting it. I will uh, clue you into a recent Sofubi piece I picked up. This is from Tractor. I believe he's a Japanese artist. Mighty Mashroom Super Rat Super Rat. This is a Rambo-looking character with a red star. The artwork looks like it's um, sort of like Eagle Force era. And it's just a weird sort of rip-off character with cloth goods. I think it's about four inches tall. And I just thought it was so wacky and so exactly what I'm trying to do with Knights of the Slice that I, I had to pick it up for my collection. Now getting back to the original question, what guides, what Sufubi I collect, uh, it is avoidance. I avoid, I use avoiding buying things as my guiding principle. Moving along, our next question from Daniel Hartzler, have you seen the new Transformers Buzzworthy Bumblebee series deluxe Fangry How do I feel about him being a $90 multi-pack? And yes, I don't know if you guys can hear it, they're working on the lawn. Of course they are right now. The only time I have to record the podcast, why not get out the leaf blowers? And guess what? Within a a couple minutes, some other guys are going to arrive and start hammering this deck for demolition, because it's all rotted. So this is a wonderful experience. I have my phone buzzing, I have dogs barking, I have cats mewing, I have leaf blowers going. And uh, these are the very real struggles of being a podcaster. People think it's the easiest job in the world. It's actually the opposite. This is the hardest job in the world. And um, I think we deserve not only first responder classification, but also essential worker classification and and a tax break. Anyways, back to the question here. Uh, I did see the Fangry from the Transformers Buzzworthy Bumblebee Series Deluxe Multipack. Uh, you know, I don't think I'm going to get it. I- I'm not a huge Transformers guy at this point in my my life, and my collection. Um, I- I- this Fangry looks okay. It- it's certainly better than the sort of Headmaster one from a few years ago. But it still doesn't quite scratch that itch for me. I'm not sure what it's missing. For those who don't know, Fangry was the only Transformer that I actually got that was... Uh, on the pricier side, that I actually got in the package. I had a lot of stuff I got at flea markets, but really, you know, my budget uh, was just the little micro changers and things like that. Like I, you know, the big deluxe uh, transformers were were never in the cards for me. Um, so I always have a real affinity for Fangry. He was also pretty cool in the Marvel comic books, although he didn't have a ton of face time. Um, so yeah, I don't I don't see myself sort of uh, going for this one. If somebody's getting the multi-pack and they don't want Fangry, you know, maybe hit me up for a trade. I think also, I've touched on this before, Transformers to me have always equated to heft, right? They're big heavy robots. The original toys were just solid bricks and you could really hurt people with them. And uh, when I see these more contemporary Transformers that are very sort of hollow and there's a lot of sort of empty air that panels just kind of fold over Uh, it just doesn't uh, tactile in a tactile sense feel right to me I don't know if you guys have a similar experience or not next question from Brent Lawson if you could have a supergroup of four additional musicians to record slash tour the world with and bring world peace and toy pizza to everyone who would they be Uh, I would only ask for two I would want Nick Fung and Tiff Fung and uh, together we would tour the world and those are the only musicians I would want to play with and uh, I think it would be it would be nice just to have extra hands to help press buttons and and you know like initiate loop pedals and things like that because I am at capacity for how many sounds one person can make uh, just standing there. Moving along to Jerry, uh, do you ever get burned out on the grind producing toys as an obligation to the business rather than a hobby? You know I think that the first time you you sort of work professionally for a toy company, the hobby loses its luster, and it never, it never goes back, honestly. I, I, I can say that, uh, you know, it's anecdotal, but that's been the path for me. Once you understand the costs of plastic, the process, uh, the importance of every paint deco, you never really look at a toy in the same way. It, it loses magic because you can only see it as a sort of technical execution of something. Um, I would also say that, yeah, like, I do have phases where I just don't buy anything. I don't want to collect anything, and I, and I usually uh, am selling things off at that point. Uh, but it ebbs and flows, and sometimes I, I get back into buying stuff off eBay, or I get a big box from Super 7, and it, like, reinvigorates me. So it's something that kind of comes and goes. I mean, there are, there are phases when I just, I really love action figures. And I'm obsessed with just buying new ones and seeing how they work and what techniques they used. And, you know, I feel generally enthusiastic. And then there's times when I want to do something in my life that has nothing to do with uh, action figures. I think also music has become uh, what toy collecting was for me before I got into the hobby. Because I have no baggage or expectation with music. It's just simply something I do for fun. Uh, There's no like intersection of commerce there at all. So, yeah, I think that the, you know, the obligation of the business definitely it forever changes uh the hobby for you. Yeah, absolutely. Next up is Gavin Raider. Uh seeing your recent berry picks, what do elderberries uh and wineberries taste like? Bonus round, what other fruits are you growing? So, uh very common to confuse Blackberries for elderberries happens a lot. Those are actually blackberries. Um, blackberries. Uh, what do they taste like? They they taste like blackberries. I don't know. It's um, they're delicious. There is a kind of there's a window in which they are really good to eat. Um, they can be pretty bitter if you don't get them when they're fully ripe. But when they're fully ripe, they uh, fall off of the tree pretty quickly so you got a good day or two to kind of scoop them all up um uh, coincidentally i had huge blackberry trees on the uh you know on the lawn of the house i grew up in so uh very plentiful although we never did anything with them we would just sort of eat them off the tree we never like put them in jars or made anything baked anything with them um I've never tasted blackberries quite like those from my childhood, but these are pretty good. Um, I don't know how to describe what they taste like. They they taste just like a delicious berry. It's, it's I would say, a little milder than, um, you know, like a cherry, and it's not as acidic or tart if you get them fully ripe. But love blackberries. Wineberries are more on the tart side, but they're very delicious. They're much smaller. Uh, They tend to be very seedy, so, uh, you know, like we might make a kofuti with them, and you will be kind of grinding seeds with your teeth, but, uh, you know, that's that's a fine experience as well. Um, So I think if you want something kind of sweet and mild, blackberry will do it for you. Wineberries for a more tart sort of experience. Uh, What other fruits we have growing? We have a bunch of tomatoes. Those are looking pretty good um eggplant i believe are a fruit because they have seed right so we have eggplants as well um the squash seems to be doing gangbusters this year i posted some pictures of eating squash blossoms and already they've grown back and i think i'll be ready to saute another batch of squash squash blossoms which is really quite good you can also bread those and fry them that is a delicacy so uh, you know lots of good produce options going on here all credit goes to Olivia, I do nothing other than water it at night and she does all the hard work. Occasionally I lift big big bags of uh, fertilizer. Next up from Zone Neon, can you talk about your methodology behind determining the price of figures? What makes something a $34 versus $24 versus sub $20 item? Most figures are roughly the same size, so it is based solely on paint apps or quality or other factors. Uh, Also, do you consider that prices are starting to approach the same level of Joy Toys ARW? How do you view this as a value proposition? I ask this as someone who just ordered a $35 send. Um, So, pricing is an art form, not a science, and there's several reasons for that. Uh, It's kind of hard to pinpoint, but there there are variables that don't always seem apparent when you're buying something. One of those is uh, your final shipping from Hong Kong or from China to the U.S., which you do not know the cost of until the very last day. Uh, When we put Sen up, I had not yet been billed uh, by FedEx, so I have a rough estimate of what I paid per unit cost for shipping, but I don't have a final cost. And While we're talking about maybe a quarter, maybe 50 cents, when you spread that across 3,000, 5,000, 10,000 figures, uh, that really adds up, and that can eat eat into your margin in a big way. So, my pricing is completely subjective, per character, per style, per sculpt. Um, There's also the idea of sort of spreading a cost, or having a margin spread amongst several different figures. That's kind of hard to illustrate, so let me give you an example. Uh, The first wave of G.I. Joe, as we know, there was one unpainted figure. That was Snake Eyes. That was a necessity in order to bring the unit cost down on every single figure to have the line be profitable. Uh, There are situations like that that happened for me. I have a figure that is extremely expensive. Uh, Subsidy Sen is probably one of the highest unit costs ever paid for a single figure. But I didn't want to charge more for him than for the other painted figure, the Sean Scream. So I had to find a way to balance that across Sen 5 figures. And that's where you get a sort of cost uh, average, which you spread amongst every figure you're gonna release this production wave and that helps cover when you might be actually losing a couple cents on every sale the other thing is that uh, to no surprise to anybody prices have skyrocketed over the past 18 19 months Uh, they are not going down anytime soon China seems to be having more issues this year than it had last year with uh, not only raw materials but also deadlines and shipping and all those all those crazy things Prices have gone up every year since I started in the industry, which is closing in on the 20-year mark. And uh, this is no exception. It, these are going to continue to go up. And, um, you know, it is, it's is—it's tough for me. I, I really do not want to get into the realm of being a Joy Toy or an ARW where $70 for a figure is not unheard of. I'm really, really, really trying to uh, stay... You know, within the twenty to thirty dollar range. Another sort of unseen factor that happens quite a bit is when it comes to postage and pre-orders, because what you pay for postage on a pre-order may not be what the actual postage or the labor costs are when that figure finally ships in a year time. And I am <laughs> I'm taking a beating on that because of all of the problems that have popped up due to the pandemic, right? There was no way to sort of price for things in 2021 prior to knowing the size and the scope of, of all the world issues, because a lot of these things were initiated in 2019 and, and uh, you know, even early 2020 before we sort of knew what we were dealing with. So there's also this, this other sort of thing that sucks away your margin uh, when the goods get stateside based on what you charged previously. Pricing for pre-orders is, you know, generally a losing game, right? Uh, people were able to pick up Sen for about $30 in pre-order. Uh, he is substantially more than that because it's it's been about a year and all the craziness that's gone on in the world. Um, Diver will probably be more than a $30 figure when he arrives, which is likely going to take a full calendar year to make happen. And so people who pre-order are getting quite a deal, especially if you're ordering multiple figures, uh, you're making out like a bandit. The other thing to look at, uh, finally, I mean, there's... I've covered... There's a myriad of sort of variables that determine price, but another one is piece count. How many different pieces go to a figure? Uh, You can sort of extrapolate how much assembly is then necessary for the factory or for me here. And, uh, you know, all this sort of adds up to what is a luxury item, if we're just being honest? This is not a sort of thing for people without disposable income. This is uh, an indulgence, uh, typically for middle class people and up. And, uh, you know, I just have to sort of deal with the reality of that. The very final thing I want to say uh, is that as an independent toy creator, I pay cash up front for everything that's in my store, which means it can sometimes take six months to a year to see a return on that cash that I've put up. And that also comes into play with how I price things. I need to make as much money as possible, as soon as possible, from the uh, items that I'm launching because I've not only paid for them, but several months, half a year, have gone by since I paid that money with no influx of cash Coming backwards so uh, you know I tend to have a brutalist view of pricing I need to charge exactly as much as I can uh, for every item on my store and I'm not squeamish about that now I do try to have concessions I try to have material styles that are much cheaper and I try to discount uh, unsold figures when I can to help people out but this is kind of a cutthroat business and uh you know i have no problem getting paid what i believe these things are worth oh and it's also worth mentioning that bigger companies receive terms from factories right they commit to x amount of production a year and therefore they don't have to pay for their goods until the goods arrive or 30 days after the goods arrive 60 days after the goods arrive if they're booking x amount of business you know, we're talking millions and millions of dollars of orders, uh, typically they will be extended terms from those factories. I am in no such position. My runs are not big enough. And, uh, you know, so it's, uh, it's really a, a, a pretty brutal world out there. It's, it's a hustle. By the way I just found a dead mole in the pool so today is officially going off the rails next up Christian in the dust is real what do you suggest when cleaning these figures up without doing damage warm soapy water thanks I would really encourage everybody to dust their collection regularly if you're going to take photos and post photos of pictures there's nothing grosser than seeing somebody's bookcase that is just like caked in dust and I'm not particularly great at this, but uh, I just pulled everything out of the workshop last week, vacuumed out the display case, didn't really dust the pieces themselves, but you know picked up all manner of dead bug and all sorts of gross shit. Um, so I, I definitely recommend people do this. Uh, I sometimes use compressed air just to kind of shake the dust off of things. I think just largely wiping them down with a paper towel should be good. Um, if you really need to kind of clean them up, I use rubbing alcohol, which can also uh, help with some of the tackiness of older plastic, although it is not a sort of permanent fix to that problem. Um, so, uh, you know, definitely schedule some time to clean up your collections. Uh, nothing grosser than seeing that. Next up from Eric, any chance of getting a suit man in yellow? I want to make a, the mask figure. Um... (laughs) I think this has come up before. I think Nikki suggested this. Um, no plans at this point, but, uh, you know, I-, I would love for that to be the case. I would love for that to happen. You could also use the Marson head. Like, it's already, it's kind of already built for us. Next up, Jim, where does material version come from? The earliest I can recall seeing it used for single color figure meant for customs is with the 2000X Microman Material Force figures. Is there an earlier or unrelated origin that you got it from um i i think i probably absorbed it from that line uh i just sort of have always liked the term material and um i think it's a great way to describe an unpainted base color figure that you're going to use as material for your customs and i'm sure you know somewhere in my mind was probably that microman line i i those material force figures which were kind of like skin tones, um, there's other colors as well, uh, they were not easy to come by. So they were really like sacred treasure. And the last thing you wanted to do was kind of use them for a custom because they were so expensive. And um, in, in my neck of the woods, anyway, not sort of easy to find. But um, yeah, I think that that's probably I don't know anything that predates that term. Oh dear, I lost all of the questions I answered. It did not save. So I'm going to attempt to answer these questions again. Forgive me if I'm being brief here, because I've already done long-winded jags on each of these queries, (laughs) and now have to re-record them. Uh, Like I said, this is the doomed podcast that I may never get through. Okay, next up, Chris Black. I have a question regarding crossover figures released by O'Neill. Essentially, are they in scale to... Glyos figures, whereas uh, you know uh, Doughty running Sima would tower over a normal Glyon. Is that sort of canon? Uh, my my answer to this is one: you really got to talk to Doughty because I don't want to sort of imagine for him the rules of his own universe. It's a very precious thing. Uh, but as far as I'm concerned, yes, these are in scale. So Knights of the Slice would be sort of you know Sentinel size. In the world of O'Neill design. Uh, and I'm pretty sure Doughty sort of contemplated this and he wants to think of, um, you know, four inches as being a, a really, really sort of tall, maybe like an engineer style uh, character from uh, the great film Prometheus. Next up, Matt Connolly. Since you live in a natural setting, are there any natural wonders that have triggered further inspiration for Night of the Slice designs or storytelling? absolutely i think the biggest uh source of inspiration for me is being in nature and being close to nature waking up and looking out the window and seeing a forest um specifically like plant and flower colors definitely inspire what i want to do with knights of the slice and specific color combos and in particular when it's autumn because you know we think of autumn as being you know browns and oranges and things like that but up here the, the, there's a myriad of colors you, you can't even believe. There's lime green, there's you know uh, hot neon yellow. It's, it's really, it's extravagant. So I, I have a wealth of inspiration in nature. We got uh, two questions relating to sort of Funko and Funko Pops. Gave Tovar, uh, what do I think of Funko Pops? And then Yex says, uh, he wishes that reaction figures had the same level of popularity and scope as Funko Pops and would love to see a lot of really weird uh, properties be made into 118th figures. And do I have a 118th figure uh, from a, you know, um, IP that's never been made, like a, a wish list. So regarding Funko Pops, uh, first and foremost, they are not for me. Uh, they do not appeal to me, uh, but they're not intended to appeal to me. Funko Pops are a a very sort of, germane thing that anybody can get into. They're, they make great gifts. And even like a grandparent might appreciate a Funko Pop of, I don't know, uh, Roosevelt. <laughs> so they're not intended to sort of titillate and attract a, a person like me. And that's okay. Um, we can debate the merits of, you know, the aesthetics and if they are great, or if they are phoned in, or whatever whatever arguments people want to make, but I would say that Funko Pops are likely responsible for an influx of collectors to our hobby to the tune of tens of thousands of people, if not a hundred thousand people. Um, their expansion and their secondary market has fueled new people to come into this hobby. Now, that can be a Uh, you know, that can have negative consequences. But for me, I see it as a net positive. More people buying toys, more people interested in collectibles uh, definitely means that more people find my stuff because the entire audience is bigger. So I see Funko Pops as a net positive, although I understand people's criticism of them. On the flip side of that, I do think that there is too much of retail space dedicated to Funko Pops, and when and if Funko Pops cease to be a hot collectible, that is going to make some businesses go under. There's no question. They've dedicated far too much square footage to Funko Pops, and just going off of the laws of thermodynamics, it can't stay hot forever. I do think that they, uh, you know, they have done a pretty impressive job of keeping the heat on Funko Pops for the amount of time they have, but I don't see that as a fire that can continue to burn forever. Final disclaimer here, I have worked in licensing, as you guys know, and I have made money collecting a small percentage of a royalty off of Funko Pop deals. So, as Upton Sinclair said, which I'm mangling this quote, but if you want to know where a man's loyalty lies, find out who signs his checks. So, Uh, I'm not the most unbiased person here when it comes to Funko Pops. Although I don't own any, I don't collect them, I don't resell them. I have made money off of the enterprise that is Funko Pops. In fact, I was able to put a deposit on a house down thanks to uh, my clients and the Funko Pop deal that uh, I uh, helped out on. So, I think, uh, you know, they are a net positive even if it's not something I really am that interested in and by my clients I mean projects I've worked on on behalf of other people of course regarding uh wishing that reaction was a bigger line or that more obscure properties had been made in the 118th scale I have to say I I don't think we can do much better than we've already done you know I I, like People may not remember, but Funko had control of the Reaction brand for a while, and they churned out hundreds and hundreds of different figures from crazy IP that should never happen, and went on to sort of do their own 118th scale figures of completely bizarre properties, including the Golden Girls and Twin Peaks. So I actually think that we lived through a golden age of very weird IP being adapted to 118th scale And, um, you know, Reaction is still here, it's back in Super 7's hands, and they continue to crank out those figures too, so I'm not sure how much further we can go in uncovering the iceberg of bizarre IP for 118th scale. I think that both those companies have done a a pretty substantial job and brought stuff to the forefront that I never thought possible. I definitely didn't think I'd ever have an Agent Dale Cooper action figure, so... Um, you know, I'm content to let it rest with what has been accomplished so far. Regarding a line or a figure from an obscure IP that I always wanted to see in 118th scale, uh, Willow. I always wanted a Mad Mardigan figure in his armor. Uh, Nakmar Soldiers. There's, there's lots of great stuff there. And uh, it never, just never happened. We got those Tonka figures, but those are not 118th scale. And they are just sort of stationary toy soldiers, essentially. Uh, Maybe there's some hope on the horizon with a Disney Plus series that's, I guess, uh, happening. But uh, we'll see. Still holding out for that Mad Mardigan. Next up from Red, can you explain in greater detail the process of working with guest designers? I I think I covered this in an earlier segment on this pod, so go back and listen to that. Um, I would say also, if you guys are curious, reach out to the guest designers. I'm sure they would love to share their experience. Hopefully, it was a good one. People seem to really be into the first reveal. Sean screamed. So, um, you know, I think this is well, well covered. Next up jeremy price is pizza shunt ceo fred in cahoots with the trilobite kingdom uh so as i said i originally answered a lot of these questions and my audio didn't save i'm guessing it was some interference from fred foods who uh very promptly sent me a press release stating that they have no relationship with the trilobite kingdom and would never do something so un-american and ungodly and uh you know threatening legal action and things like that so I guess we got to take this mega corporation at its word, uh, and we should trust their PR teams because those people are not professional liars. They they wouldn't uh, tell us a falsehood. Final question here from Thomas Bucci. If we don't reach twenty thousand in time, can we keep the fundraiser running silently in the background after it ends so we can eventually reach that twenty k amount and get the bubble head funded? I basically don't want this thing made until it gets that bubble head funded. I don't care if we have to wait a whole year for Patreon earnings to uh, fulfill that goal, go big or go home. Uh, well, unfortunately, uh, I do care if this thing gets made and under the conditions in which it does get made. Um, this campaign ends hard stop on August 1st. The reason is campaigns take a lot of energy from me and from Nikki, and they're not fun to be in the middle of. It's great to have a win and have a success, but there are people that have to work every day on what's happening with the campaign behind the scenes, so it needs to end. I need to move on to the next project, and uh, S must seen. It must be my friends, and with that, all questions are answered. Okay, now this is Friday morning. I'm about to uh, close this pot out and post it live for you guys a couple things you need to know about first up tomorrow is the last day you can sign up for action figure of the month july and get the cherubium with gold star marshall you've seen the pictures start to arrive people are really excited about this uh if you're not a patron by tomorrow you're not going to get one so Uh, that's your last chance and also as I mentioned earlier August 1st dead stop the diver campaign ends I think we're uh, in excess of 16,000 if we get to 20,000 there will be a bubble helmet unlocked for every diver ordered in the campaign so if you guys want to boost now is the time to do it next up this Tuesday we're not doing a live stream our live stream is moving to Thursday just for this week there's no drop this week The reason is, my boy's coming home. Nikki's gonna be here, so we're gonna put on a concert for you guys Thursday night. We're just gonna celebrate and have fun. No reason to spend money. Watch us for free on Twitch. We're gonna jam out. It's not gonna be good, but it will be very funny. I can promise you that much. So uh, we're gonna take the week off, chill out. Everybody's just gotten massive packages, and we finally fulfilled Send5. It's an excellent feeling, and that calls for a celebration and a party. So, um, you do not have to worry about a store drop, that'll be happening uh, the following Tuesday. What I'm thinking right now, it'll be, let me just get you the date here, looking at the calendar. So, um, the 10th of August will be our next sale. And what I think I'm gonna do is a Franken-slice sale. I'm going to, uh, you know, I know there's some characters we gotta re-release. Everybody's asking for another Greg Gannon, uh, I have a couple air mare heads floating around so I'm gonna spend some time in the workshop and put together some Franken slices and we'll do a entire collection that's Franken slices uh, all this is subject to chain of course but um, I'm excited about that I think that'll be a lot of fun and kind of get people a lot of material for building and things like that um, as I said Zen 5 has started to arrive I'm seeing the very first pictures and customs and paint. Decos you guys have done, and I love it. This is like the best time uh, to be alive and be an artist, is when other people are appreciating the fruits of your labor. So, thank you guys for that. Keep posting the photos and the builds. There is not a ton of Sen 5 left on the store. In fact, I believe Sen 10 has sold out. Just taking a peek right here. Um, I know there's going to be a second wave of orders as people discover all the secrets of Sen, which have started to leak out there. So, if you have an order to Sen, I don't know how long this inventory is going to last. So, you may want to act sooner than later if you're seeking uh, duplicate figures or you need more materials and parts to do some crazy builds. So, just some food for thought. I, I had anticipated having all four styles in stock for quite some time uh but the demand for this new figure has exceeded what i had anticipated so um you know just contemplate that if you're trying to be strategic about your purchases and then finally if you're listening to this on another platform you can go to patreon.com jesse and you can become a patron for either five dollars Or $30 if you sign up for the $30 tier you will get a free action figure every month that you're a member and uh, I gotta tell you I love my patrons they are the foundation of my business they're how I'm able to keep the lights on Um, I don't think I've discussed this but I met a very staggering milestone just a few days ago Uh, I spent over $100,000 on new tools and product. And that's a, a new record for me in only half a year. And it's a, a entirely frightening and scary and possibly bankrupting uh premise to be outlaying that much cash for new figures, new tools, new designs, things like that. But I can do that with some level of confidence because of the support on Patreon and really every penny I make goes back into the business. Um and uh it's a really exciting and terrifying time for Knights of the Slice. So thank you guys for that. Um and let's keep doing this. This is a lot of fun. Let's keep making weird figures. The only thing left to say is pizza out.